What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheese. That's obviously not a very happy episode of the Weekly Cheese coming at you this week, as obviously the Packers have once again lost in devastating fashion in the playoffs. And we once again have an offseason ahead of us as Packer fans of uncertainty and anxiety until things start getting strained out and we have a little bit better idea of what's going on forward. We've got a lot to talk about. We'll break down the game. We'll talk about some breaking news as of this morning regarding the Green Bay Packers that has a lot of implications for the future, well, potential implications for the future. You're not going to miss it. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Weekly Cheese. going on everyone welcome back to the weekly cheese i'm your host joe ivan here with me as always in studio is chris chris what's going on i have nothing to say on this intro this time joe everybody knows how everybody's feeling in packer nation today you're saying everyone knows how you know everyone knows what's going on is that what you're saying? Everyone knows what's going on? I nothing guess good? Nothing good. Nothing good. I'll tell you one thing that's good. Uh, that Eddie J. Lemberger song that uh, we kicked off the show with. Unfortunately, I didn't feel it was appropriate to start with the typical Super Bowl, Super Bowl intro song, obviously. The hopes uh, are gone yeah, for this due, season. Due to the lost hopes on this year. That's exactly right, Chris. But luckily, thanks to... The uh, great Eddie J. Lemberger, the Packers polka music legend himself. Uh, We do have a song to listen to on days and weeks like this, a more somber song about the Packers that still portrays our collective love for the Green Bay Packers as Packer Nation and as the Cheeseheads. It's a perfect song for the occasion and I figured it was the ultimate way to start off this divisional round recap, you could call it, end-of-year gathering, if you will, here at the Weekly Cheese. There's really, don't have, it's not a normal show. We don't got all the the numbers written down, and we're not going to sit here analyzing each and every player's individual performance on 
Saturday night because ultimately there's what, no what, need. Yeah, what good does it do, Chris, to really It just pisses you off and ignites past emotion that we've seemed to somewhat get over at this point. Quick note, Lemberger, if you're listening and we know you are, exactly. we, we would know love you are. to have him. <laughs> Lemberger, if yes. you're listening and we know you are, we would love to, to have you as a guest on the show. We would. Oh, and uh, we should actually just reach out to Lemberger. Uh, now that we're going into the off season and it's officially the Packers off season, and we have some time here in between now and the draft and free agency and just a little time until we really get a grasp on what's what the future has in store for Packer, the Packer Nation and the Green Bay Packers. And until then, we're going to be doing a couple different things, which include some interviews. Uh, we do have an interview set up for either tomorrow or Saturday, the first ever weekly cheese interview where Chris and I will be sitting down with the creator and runner of a pretty successful Packers fan page on Instagram. Um, the, the official Packers fan page, I believe, is the name of the, the page. Number one Packers fan page on Instagram, if you will. We'll be speaking with him and just getting his feelings on everything that transpired. Starting last offseason, entering into a very crazy preseason and into what was a miraculous regular season and a Yet another devastating postseason loss. But before we get into that and what the future has in store and how we're feeling about the future of the Packers, Chris, we do have a game to speak about. And yes, it, it's a game I have the highlights of running right here in front of my eyes. I don't just, know how you could watch that. You know, I just have to keep it fresh in the mind. Oh. I kind of blanked out blacked out towards the end of the game they're just out of frustration and well, emotion and it's interesting anger it's interesting because this is your first uh run with the packers where you were emotionally I was invested I was mentally invested yes so it's your first time i'm watching your first go round with this whole emotional roller coaster that is the green bay packers and the the feeling that you have it's immense it, frustration nothing new for us i know i know which is the tough part i you know i have no place to be frustrated but uh, yes you do dude it's frustrating <sighs> it let it feel i don't that have the years of frustration that you know to thicken my skin so it that's i just thing. felt yeah. anger at this point like when it, you saw it coming from a mile away i mean the packers choked away yet another playoff game to, in devastating fashion, an embarrassing fashion, and once again, just making a mockery out of uh, me and the other, what, 1% or 2% of Green Bay Packer fans that literally don the green and gold 365 <laughs> days of the year. You, you, I mean, I don't know how many Packer fans are out there that literally walk around outside of the greater Green Bay area, if you will, because I'm sure over there in, in Titletown, it's always green and gold every single day. But, but over there, there's minimal opposing team fans you run into. You're not 
walking around in Packer every day in the land of Giants and Eagles fans. There's tons of Cowboys fans over here where we're at in the metropolitan New York area. So, you know what I mean? It's like I walk around every single day talking trash, letting people know what's what, and bleeding the green and gold, and I will never stop. But once again, the Packers have made it tough to do for a couple days here. I've been getting sympathetic eyes, but also very cruel and uh, sinister eyes from people who are just thrilled that the Packers lost because there are tons of them out there and yeah just another devastating postseason loss and another loss to the San Francisco 49ers which with this one have officially moved into my least favorite team in the league spot they were kicking around at second or third uh, for many years now but I could confidently say they are officially my least favorite team in the NFL yeah I mean from the start as soon as they were matched up with San Fran I would have written out that this could have happened but I would have rather them play the Chiefs in the damn first literally anybody except the the Niners I felt the same way man as soon as the Niners beat the Cowboys I said all right we got San Fran and then I sat down and I went like we have San Fran that's that's exactly how I felt because if there's one guy that's going to come into Lambeau Field and destroy everything, it's Kyle Shanahan and his brilliant offensive line and defensive unit. And uh, that's exactly what they did. The Packers fell right into his spider web. They fell right into his trap. Yeah. And, and they were able to linger around long enough to make the Big Bang play. Yeah, and, and you know what hurts the most? There was a press clipping of Shanahan's, like, aware of that they had to exploit the special teams, and he was, like, in the, the locker room at halftime as well, saying, like, we have to exploit the special teams, and that they did, and that, that stings. And knowing. you know what? I feel foolish, and, I mean, I'm sure many Packer fans out there um, had this on their radar because it was clear and obvious that it was an area of emphasis going into this game. But in my pregame preview and really all week leading up to the game, I I don't know if it was like some subconscious neglect or just I don't know what, but I was just didn't even really think about the fact that the Green Bay Packers could lose this game due to a special teams conundrum. I really think I was just not allowing my mind to get there. I refused to even uh, fathom the potential for another Bostic conundrum. I just, seriously, I, I think that's what it was. Because right before the game, my my dad listened to the preview. And he, he told me that the one thing that I failed to mention was the possibility of the special teams costing the Packers the game. And I said to him, hey. Don't even say such it's a something thing. That, I don't even want to bring my mind there. It's something that has cost so much so many times <laughs> that you would just think that this time when everything's coming together, when it's their year, when everything is on the line at that point, basically, you think that that's what they would have sealed up the most. They should have just left the offense and the defense at home. 
and just only made the special teams practice. They should have made everybody practice special teams. And there needs to be an answer moving forward. I mean, the the special teams malfunctions that took place on Saturday night were inexcusable. I mean, the the blocked field goal at the end of the half, which would have put the Packers up 10 going into the break, and really ultimately could have changed the game with the way the rest of it ended up playing out three points would have been a huge deal at that point so the the field goal blocked unfortunately Tyler Lancaster uh, off coming off the heels of his uh, what are the cheesy awards a uh, uh, a curse a massive coming jinx. off of the heels of his cheesy award for the Citrogen Sahara reliability award and I spoke about the play against the the Vikings, where he had his elbow pinched on a on a field goal protection, that I believe the on that exact play, uh, the basic crossfield field goal got blocked all back on week twelve. So uh, to see Tyler Lancaster be exploited there on a field goal protection, and they were able to come away with a block, really hurt to see because you saw Lancaster really engage the guy rushing to his left. And then you see him recognize a man bull rushing to his right, and he stuck his arm out, and you see his elbow get pinched again, and you know that he was in excruciating pain. And he said, oh, no, I'm not doing that again, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, but he tried, and he had his—you see the brace that man has on that elbow ever since week 12. I mean, it got pinched again. Shanahan knew exactly the spot to exploit, and they won that play, and it was a huge momentum shift going into the break, and then— Obviously, to follow that up, Samuel had a fantastic punt return in the in the game that set them up with a nice field position there in the second half, and then the obvious one, the the fourth quarter blunder that will be replaying in my mind over and over again, uh, backed up in their own end zone. Corey Bohorquez, literally. Uh, th- that play was like in slow motion. It seemed like Bohorquez had the ball in his hands for like decades. It literally felt like uh, that that bit from Auntie Donna's that show on Netflix, that comedy show, that bit with the penny whistles where they take the, the, the they take their break in the middle of the basketball game. Like it literally felt like Bohorquez got the ball in his hands and like started reading a newspaper. He was just taking his time with it and Wordle gets absolutely manhandled and just pushed back fifteen yards and oh everyone knows what happened. Wordle gets. Ex- I'm watching the play as we speak. The snap was a little bit low, but yeah, it, he had the ball in his hands for ages. Wordle got pushed back, but then uh, I can't see the number. The one of the guys who was like a late rusher for the Niners. I've never seen anybody get clean so th- through the line so clean so fast. The hole that was exploited from Wordle being manhandled, he ran right through that hole and just got his hand right on the ball. And then the crazy part is obviously, you know, we weren't there, we're not on the field, they had no idea where the ball was. There was not one single packer around the ball. Not one. Well, dude, the ball got shot like seven I know, million under, feet. You can see none the of air. them saw it. It's the n- you can't blame any of them. No, none of them. Yeah, they just no. happened to all be surrounding by it. But it's like uh, the odds were stacked against them in every way. The football gods said not today. I mean, there's a group of four Packers standing immediately to their left, 
that could have the ball could have fallen to, but and I mean that's just, just nitpicking really at this point. What makes me so angry about it is, is like, I believe that this is ultimately now the Wordle game, and just like the Bostic game of 2014, what I will remember most is the image of Stephen Wordle being just manhandled 15 yards into the backfield and the the punt getting blocked, them scoring a touchdown, and just like that, all momentum loss and really hopes gone. <laughs> At that point, uh, it was just devastating. And what really sickens me about this situation is the fact that Wordle is new to the Packers. Out of nowhere, in the middle of the season, week eight, Hunter Bradley gets released for, if you ask me, no good reason whatsoever. Hunter Bradley was the Packers' long snapper for four years at that point. I mean, three full seasons, then eight games into this last season. And if you ask me, the special teams had a lot of issues for years, but none of it was Hunter Bradley's fault. Hunter Bradley was a solid long snapper in the world of long snapping. He was never making any blatant errors. The the field goals, Mason Crosby was on an all-time heater. I mean, he made more consecutive kicks in a row up until the middle of this year. And then all of a sudden, for lack of a better term shit hits the fan for a couple weeks Mason starts missing some kicks the 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 Bengals game happens where there's like nine missed kicks back and forth between Mason and McPherson and Hunter Bradley's out of town it makes no sense to me they bring in this Wordle guy that whenever since he got there there's been all sorts of issues with the just the overall production of the Mason Crosby's kicks and and the the special teams at large and uh, Stephen Wordle now has a game named after him for being manhandled single-handedly, allowing a punt block at the most vital time in the Packers season. Yeah, I think a lot of the the past special teams problems was with like the protection and the return game, and this one is clearly with the the three-man unit of the actual kick being deployed and. You see it, McAfee mentioned it on his show, like at, right as Mason missed the kicks, he would immediately look at either Bohorquez or Wordle right. multiple yeah. times throughout the season. And you could tell that it was just the feng shui, whether it was the timing or the way and Bohorquez held the ball. Another thing I don't understand about the decision to move on from Hunter Bradley is, and it's really unfair to Mason Crosby, it's one thing to go and replace one aspect of that that group of guys, the long snapper, the holder, and the kicker, but to go replace the punter and and getting rid of J.K. Scott and bringing on Bohorquez, and then just bring in this Stephen Wordle guy out of nowhere for no good reason that I could think of, and, and just give Mason Crosby two new guys to work with, it just makes no sense. And then obviously, um, yeah, the the Mason Crosby's not involved in punts, but um, Wordle. Wordle had a royal, a royal faux pas, uh, one of the most costly faux pas in the past decade, and his name is now up there with the likes of Brennan Bostick, in my mind. Uh, and yeah. there's really no other way to put it, and it's really upsetting. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I could believe it, obviously, because it happened, and we should 
I'm numb to it at this point, but when it initially went down, like, I thought I was having a bad dream. The play just seemed to move in slow motion. You see Wordle getting manhandled. His arms are flopping in the air Every, because yeah, he's being... everything just slowed down. Yeah. You could hear him going, punt, and the guy yeah. going, <laughs> across the field. Yeah. And then the ball getting blocked. Yeah, you could see Bajorquez catching the ball and lighting a cigar simultaneously. Signing an autograph. Yeah. Yeah, Lambo like, leaping. Yeah, itching his scrotum. Like, yeah, he's doing all of this stuff in between the time the ball reaches his hands and it comes off his foot. It was just really crazy. And then to cap off the special teams conundrums, um, for whatever reason, on the final Robbie Gold field goal that won the game, the last play of the game, there was only 10 Green Bay Packers on the field. And, yeah, I'm not saying that who know, uh, that two – extra two hands is going to block that kick at that point it's a principal thing get 11 guys on the field you're a professional football team playing in the nfl divisional round as the number one seed at home okay get 11 guys on the field that is just a disgrace that is really just unacceptable and i know it's probably going to be a tough decision for lafleur because he does seem to really love the guy, and they seem to have a friendship. But I would be shocked if Mo Drayton is the Packers special. He teams simply cannot be. Special teams lost him games during the season. Yeah, it lost them be. the NFC Championship game. Obviously, you can say Aaron had to play better. You could say the offense had to play slightly better. But let's face it, the special teams disaster. Yeah, and we'll were, get into the issues uh, that the yes, offense of had course. as well. But of course, but this is just you know, and you know, in hindsight, the only hindsight topic that I'll bring up on this entire show just ditch the special teams. I mean, all the, te- the it was fourth and short, third and short, third and short, fourth and short. And they're either, you know, just basically submitting. They knelt the ball before halftime, just give it a chuck. Like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't like the hesitancy well, yeah, I shown. don't have an issue, especially after taking the sack that was damn near fumbled away and put into the 49ers' hands with, like, what, 40 seconds left in the half. I have no issues clocking that thing and putting Mason Crosby on the field. Anyone that listens to this show or knows me knows that. I love Mason Crosby, and every time he goes out there, I'm confident, regardless of what his last kick looked like. I am confident in Mason, and I will always be, and unfortunately, who knows what his future holds. We'll get into all that um, once we talk about next season and the, the moving forward, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm okay with that happening, but to have it get blocked was devastating, and um, yeah, I think perhaps... Lancaster telling Larry Larry McCarron after the Week 12 game against the Vikings when his elbow got pinched protecting for a field goal um, and it got blocked. I think right then and there, there should have been a change made. And to see basically that, like, if you go and, and if someone should do this with a little more video editing skills than I, but go and do one of those things where, like, you go simultaneous, like, flash back and forth between the two plays, the Week 12 field goal block and this one, and I'm guaranteeing you Tyler Lancaster's doing the exact same animations in both. Like, yeah, I'm telling you it looks identical. So, um, yeah, it's just tough. It's and, tough. And You're just up seven. You know the Niners can do this. You've, this has happened before. You know Shanahan's across the field. Like, just take a shot, I guess. The worst thing that happens is they turn the ball over with no time left. Or it's in there. Yeah, it's in the Packers' territory. So, I mean, there's nothing terrible that's going to happen. Well, yeah, but on top of that, it was like, 
the Packers' offense was struggling mightily. After that first drive, I mean, that was a beautiful first drive. And then once Mercedes Lewis fumbled the ball and, and momentum was kind of lost by the offense, um, they could really not get back on track. After the Mercedes Lewis fumble, there, there was two three-and-outs, a six-play drive that ended in a punt, and then right before half, they got Aaron Jones down the field on the wheel route, but they obviously made the, the, the field goal got blocked. And then to start the second half, it was more of the same. It was just punts, short drives. I mean, the Packers and the Niners are basically just trading punts back and forth. Each team got a field goal early on in the second half, and then the one time the Packers' offense finally gets a drive going, they have to settle for that field goal. When they were on the three- or four-yard line, uh, knocking on the door to go up at that point, it would have been 14-3, to and they would have been running away with the game. It was such a huge drive. And this brings me to, really, the my biggest gripe about the offensive performance and the game plan. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers took his... He took some blame, and he deserves some fair share of his criticism for the last ball to Devontae when he clearly had Lazard in the middle of the field and not getting other guys involved. I mean, if you just look at the box score um, outside of Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, no one had more than two, uh, more than one target on the game. Dominique Daphne had two, but that second one was just like, uh, you know, he, he, anywhere, Aaron was just throwing the ball. It wasn't like Daphne got targeted. So, yeah, everyone got one touch, and, and Aaron was just feeding Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams as best he could. Uh, it just was not an even distribution of the rock like we're accustomed to seeing. Uh, Lazard get involved over the last several weeks, and Randall Cobb was back. I was really hoping he would make an impact. It was a shame not having MVS out there. DeGuara dropped his only target and didn't get – Another look the rest of the game. It was just the offense was stale, and they couldn't move the ball on the ground. The 67 rushing yards total as a team. Uh, Aaron Jones, 12 carries, 41 yards. I mean, nothing there. A.J. Dillon, just seven carries, 25 yards. And then he got hurt on special teams to start the second half and wasn't available for the remainder of the game. And when that happened, uh, you could just tell that the Packers' offense did not look great. Not being able to move the ball really made life easy for the Niners secondary. They were able to bracket Devontae Adams, and the rest was history. Aaron Rodgers checked the ball down, and the Packers were not able to move the ball outside of that one drive there in the third quarter, carried it over into the fourth quarter, and then what happened then? The offensive line and the struggles that they had on the day show themselves and uh, back them up, and the Packers were forced to settle for a field goal. And that's my biggest gripe, the offensive line alignment on the day. Uh, I do not agree with the personnel group that LaFleur chose to put out there, and I know who am I. I'm not Stenovich. I'm not LaFleur, and, hey, I'm not claiming to know better than those guys. I trust them to put the five best guys out there, but what I'm thinking is if David Bakhtiari could play, then I'm perfectly okay with Josh Meyer starting at center, Lucas Patrick, uh, Lucas Patrick starting at right guard, and keeping Billy Turner out there at the right tackle slot. But as soon as David Bakhtiari is ruled out for the game, why not go with what got you there? Why not keep the group out there that uh, 
played the most together throughout the season, and that would be Yash Nyman at the left tackle spot, John Runyon at left guard, LP at center, Crazy Man Royce at right guard, and then and then you have a decision to make. Do you, you like what Dennis Kelly has done so much that you keep him out there at right tackle, or 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 do you stick out Billy Turner and you put him back in there at right tackle? That's the only decision that should have been made once Bakhtiari was out of the mix. But once that's the case, I I don't see how you don't go with who got you there. And what happens on that final dr- on that on that final good drive they had? They're knocking on the door, and, and Dennis Kelly, the man again, coming off the heels of his cheesy award for man I would most like by my side in a bar fight. He has a false start penalty followed by giving up a, a costly sack. That took the Packers out of striking distance and forced them to settle for three. And it was a huge momentum shift in the game. Just not the time for an offensive lapse and just a stale offensive performance. And it's really upsetting because who would have thought that that's how the Packers lose the game? Um, Because, my God, Chris, what could be said about the play of the Packers' defense? I mean, the Packers defense, that was probably their best game. <clears throat> That's not really a uh, a new take. But the defense gave the offense so many times, so many chances to win the game, I should say. They uh when that big dog fumble happened, they stunned the four they st- stuffed the 49ers. They created a big uh th- three and out. They get the ball back and then first play Aaron comes out and takes a sack. Not that it's on him, it's on the offensive line, but you can't be doing that. They're Momentum shifting plays, momentum generating plays, and the defense provided all of those all night. Yeah, you're totally right. The defense, I mean, finally, you know, finally, we as fans and the organization could say that Aaron Rodgers had a top 10 defense. He had a top five defense in the league. Especially when playing like that with the all pros, I would be willing to say the best defense. Yes. If that defense was able to continue throughout the playoffs, they would have really shined. Zedarius played unbelievably well so in his well. return. It was so only well. his first game back against a good offensive line, so mind well. you. I mean, there was so many things going right. And, oh, that's, and that, that's part of the reason why I brought up before why I would just go for it in those situations. You know your special team is crap, especially after the first debacle. And then your defense is playing amazing. They can get you the ball back. They showed it all night. But what night. about the way the offense was moving the ball? You, can't you, have to, you have Aaron Rodgers. You have to generate something. Aaron would have wound up generating something. Something would have wound up giving. I being a little giving, more aggressive, but, but going for it every time, especially with those fourth and like five. Maybe, maybe not every time, but they had the third and short that they punted it they knelt the ball uh, when they could have you know bombed onto the end zone from about 40 yards and they just knelt it with a couple seconds left in the half that's unlike the Packers that would have put you up seven there I mean I don't know but the defense played unbelievable and you can't let the loss take anything away from that yeah no they played their hearts out they held the 49ers offense to just six points they didn't give up a touchdown uh, and they executed their game plan to perfection. They stopped the run as as best they could with how often the 49ers ran the ball and how often they were on the field. And they pressured Jimmy Garoppolo so well. And, I mean, what resu- it resulted in them holding the Niners to under their weekly rushing average. They sacked Jimmy Garoppolo four times. They came up with a huge interception in the red zone. And they only gave up three offensive points really when 
when you factor in all the special teams malfunctions, really the defense was accountable for three points, and it's really upsetting. I mean, Kenny Clark was absolutely ferocious, wreaking havoc from the inside. Rashawn Gary was miraculous. He put the entire NFL on notice that he is the man. I mean, two sacks, tackle for a loss on fourth down. I mean, getting the – I thought the game was over right then and there when Rashawn Gary stuffed that fourth down run. That That's was what I mean. They were so developing badass. these crazy plays, the momentum for these crazy and, plays. And, I mean, you're so right with the, everything coming together. I mean, Jair Alexander was on the field. You didn't even hear his name called once no, because he, he wasn't was even so targeted good. one time. And, and – and Zadarius Smith and Whitney Merciless came back, and they did exactly what they needed to do coming in for that, that, that limited snap count, giving Rashawn and Preston their breaks, coming in where you would usually see Garvin and Tipa, and Zadarius electrified the crowd with a sack. He did his army crawl and, and, and dog-eating celebration. It was just everything came together, and the defense was just so spectacular. And they brought the hurt to that 49ers offense. The Niners left there going, well, they brought they brought it. The, the Niners left there feeling that Packers defensive unit. I mean, Debo Samuel left there limping. I mean, who, hopefully he's okay for this next two games and they have him at full strength because on that last play where he ran the ball for nine yards on the third and seven, it was devastating. But when he did that, he had like five yards after the first contact, and Chris Barnes just devastated that man's knee with his helmet. It, it, Chris Barnes hit him really hard earlier in the game where he limped off with what seemed to be a rib thing of his own. Um, yeah, I mean, what could be said? It's just so upsetting because this was a special Packers defensive unit. It really was. That was a Super Bowl caliber championship defense that Goop put together and uh, it's going to look a lot different moving forward and that's what's really upsetting about it um, the offense stalled the entire second half and the special teams once again cost the Packers an extremely important game and it's going to hurt for a while it's going to hurt for a while especially when we think about the uncertain future that the Packers have in store for them moving forward because who knows how this team is going to look, Chris. And with the news of Nathaniel Hackett getting the head coaching job in Denver, um, a lot is going to change in Green Bay because, I mean, you know Hackett's going to want to bring some guys from the Packers coaching staff. Uh, there's already rumors that they're targeting Stenovich for offensive coordinator uh, position, which would be just crazy. Uh, and, yeah, Malafleur has some decisions to make because there's also been a news today that he's going to be trying to hire from within to fill the empty offensive coordinator position, and there's two viable options. Obviously, Luke Getze would be a great option, and I know that if the Packers don't sign him as their offensive coordinator, someone else might. But at the same time, Stenovich could also be a great offensive coordinator, and if the Packers don't promote Stenovich to that spot, chances are he's going to Denver to be the offensive coordinator there. So there's decisions to be made in terms of the coaching staff. Obviously, 
in terms of the personnel, the Packers have so much to figure out. Currently, there are like $53 million over the cap for next season. And I have a list here, Chris, of potential players who may have played their last snaps as a Green Bay Packers as we look ahead to next season. And let me just read this list for you. It's a long one. Uh, there's a lot of key contributors on this list, and I just want to hear your thoughts on uh, yeah, this list of guys that could have potentially played their last game as Packers. You have Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Big Bob Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis, Billy Turner, Dennis Kelly, Lucas Patrick, Dean Lowry, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Rasul Douglas, Kevin King, hopefully, good, <laughs> Devondre Campbell, Adrian Amos, and Mason Crosby. That's the list. I think there's some good names on there, you know, that should maybe consider taking a walk, but I think there's some devastating, devastating names on that list. If you look at that list, um, nearly every single one of them was a primary contributor this season. They were an impact player um, at an impact all position. All but Kevin King. Uh, and, I mean, Kevin King has been an impact contributor for many seasons now. And, yeah, he had a different role this year with Rasul coming in as as dominantly as he did. But um, outside of Kevin King, every single player on this list is a starter for the Green Bay Packers. So sitting $53 million over the cap uh, with basically – Every single one of your starters due for a new contract has a, a makes a tough decisions ahead, to say the least. Um, obviously, a lot of those decisions surround what what Aaron decides to do. Um, we'll get into all of this with our guest within the next couple of days when we have our interview. I want to hear what he thinks is going to go on, but the way I look at it is there's really three paths here that the Packers have in front of them. And that is one, Aaron Rodgers decides he wants to play and he wants to play the remainder of his days in Green Bay. Uh, Matt LaFleur did say that he, and as far as he knows, everyone involved in the organization, uh, they want Aaron Rodgers to retire a Green Bay Packer whenever that may be, whenever he decide, decides to do so. And quite frankly, that's obviously the, what I want. Uh, I know many Packer fans don't hold that same opinion especially after this season and everything that's transpired but as far as I'm concerned Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers and I want him here as long as he wants to be here so if they do that they could sign an, a long-term deal obviously pushing money down the road and freeing up a ton of cap space to work with which would then allow them to go obviously sign a Devontae Adams and um, give money elsewhere just freeze up everything so if Aaron Rodgers stays who knows what the team, there's a good chance they could keep a lot of these contributing players. Um, then there's option number two, which is Aaron Rodgers decides he's done with football and he wants to retire. I think this is the least likely of all the situations that could possibly take place, but there's still a chance that Aaron Rodgers retires um, in which, yeah, the Packers would have to move on and then um, who knows what Devontae Adams would do from there. His free agency would, um, yeah, decide whether or not the Packers are officially a rebuilding franchise or not. If 
Aaron retires and Devontae wants to stay with the team, then, hey, we have some pieces here. Let's see what we could do. We have the best receiver in football, after all. We could go and compete. Or he goes elsewhere, and then the Packers are officially in a state of rebuilding. Then there's option three, which I think is right up there with option one uh, as a 50-50 toss-up of what might happen, which is Aaron Rodgers approaches the team and says he wants to be traded, and he gives a short list of teams, and the Packers then go field options for a trade package for the guy. At this point, following back-to-back MVP seasons, Chris, what do you think a trade package for Aaron Rodgers looks like, considering what the Rams had to give up to go get Matt Stafford? I would say possibly Jerry Judy, possibly possibly a Tim Patrick. I don't know what he's worth on the on the market, but you would I think you would need maybe a first rounder. Maybe? Dude. Maybe a for two first round. Dude. It depends player wise. Um let's just go back so we know for sure what this Matt Stafford trade consisted of. But um the the Lions sent Matt Stafford to the Rams in exchange for two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and Jared Goff. So it'll probably take uh, two, three first. It depends on the players involved. Two, three I'm saying first if rounders, I'm, if I'm Brian rounder. and, and the decision-makers there in Green Bay, I'm not moving Aaron Rodgers for anything short of Jerry Judy Pat Sertan and two first-round picks. Pat Sertan would be a good pickup. Uh, who's their safety? What's his name? Justin Simmons. He would be a good pickup as well. Y- yeah, uh, I'm. But you need you need to give me me two first-round picks and two A-plus caliber young players. Javante Williams. We don't really need a bar. The Packers don't really need a running back, but Javante Williams is probably. Up there as well. No, but the point is that it's going to be something hefty. You're not just getting Aaron Rodgers for um, uh, two firsts and and Jared Goff. That's not happening. No, no. Um, It's going to need to be quite a pricey trade package. And then at that point, the Packers, depending on what they get in exchange for Aaron Rodgers, might have a foundation there to have a quick rebuild a la the New England Patriots or something like that. And that would be... A pretty good situation to be in in terms of the world of rebuilding. Yes, uh, and hopefully they would be able to get their first rounders for you know maybe the next year or the year after when they could fill out some yeah. Allen and with the, a nice draft class as opposed to this one. There's some nice picks in this one. Oh yeah, no, it would definitely be for down the road. But uh, long story short, is there's decisions to be made, and hopefully, and according to Aaron Rodgers, uh, it's not going to be this long drawn out thing again. We should have answers within the next month or so. Um, free agency will open up in February, and then the draft is in March. So um, if Aaron Rodgers is going to get dealt, it will obviously be before the NFL draft. Uh, he did say he wants to make his decision before free agency out of respect for all the free agents on the Packers. He knows what he does, plays a huge role in everything. Um, but, yeah, the future is just as uncertain this time around as it was this time last year. And I'm very excited to hear what um, our guest ha- thinks of it uh, coming up here in the next couple of days. Keep an eye out for the interview. Um, the Weekly Cheese, hey, the season might be over, but the Weekly Cheese is not going anywhere. I'm not saying it's going to be two times a week uploads like it is during the season. We will have a little bit of an off season here. But when there's things to talk about, they will be spoken about whenever we could 
talk with a, an exciting guest and interview and talk with a Packer fan out there or uh, someone in the media or just someone interesting, we will come together and we will talk Packer with that person. And obviously, I will be picking up my writing in the offseason to talk all things free agency, trade, draft, and all that stuff on theweeklycheese.com. So take a look at all that. And yeah, Chris and I will obviously be now with the Packers season coming to an end. We will be uploading every week. We'll be moving towards cheese on everything officially as this offseason kicks off. But yeah, thanks for riding with us this season. It was a great one, and hey, who knows what Scott the future has in store for us. Hopefully, and as far as I'm concerned, until we know otherwise, we'll be right back in this position next season with the MVP, the best team in the league, competing for a Super Bowl at Lambeau Field. But until then, as always, remember, the cheese stands alone. And hey, Chris, you have anything you want to say as a send-off here? Oh, my first season as a Packers fan was an emotional one, Joe. I now understand how your day is so affected by the outcome and the results of Packers games, but I appreciate everybody listening. Yeah, hey, thanks to the listeners out there. If you do enjoy it, obviously feel free to follow, subscribe. We're on all the social medias at The Weekly Cheese. Um, and yeah, Spotify, YouTube at The Weekly Cheese. Um, and yeah, The Weekly Cheese... We're two seasons into it. We're still just getting started. Uh, a lot to look forward to in the future of the weekly cheese. And, hey, it's only up from here in all aspects of the weekly cheese. So, yeah, thanks. We'll be checking back in within the next couple of days with our first ever weekly cheese interview. Real pumped for that. And, uh, yeah, keep keep your eyes out for cheese on everything coming to you soon. And yeah, hey, go pack, go. The cheese stands alone. I wonder if you love your green eyes. Quarter one, the game's begun. We elected to receive and proceeded to move the ball at will. It was a thrill. We got so far ahead, we thought they were dead. It's true. Then came quarter two. We seemed to change. We played so strange Why? I'll never know But at halftime Our coach was fine Damage to locker room property Then came quarter three We got back on track We gave him a whack And in quarter four Closed the door Now I'm sitting there In my easy chair I've got to wait a whole week For another game but I'd uh, rather go on waiting another whole week than to never see you play again. Green Bay Packers, I love you. When we pass that goal, it's so emotional. I shed a tear, it's true. My Green Bay Packers, I'm in love with you